In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 396 this week a double feature as we hurdle our way towards our 400th episode first up this week our good friend monica Miklas joins us to talk about a career arc that has taken her from indie work at the hollywood fringe festival to being a senior manager of creative direction at rws entertainment one of the biggest themed entertainment companies in the world working on everything from haunts to cruise ships then we take a leap over into the digital realm and talk with Clement Deneu and Michael Mazukawa of Atlas Five about Monsterama, a Tribeca immersive selection that truly delighted me this month. Before we get to that, I just need to give a huge thank you to everyone who has stuck with us on Patreon through thick and thin. We've been very lucky to have so many of you keep with us, with me, and that's allowed us to get this far. We've had a fair amount of churn this month, but I'm happy to say that at least for June, we've had a new sustaining backer jump in. They're known to us only as Hail the Visionary, and while the emanations are perplexing, the auguries appear very, very true. What am I saying? Okay, but in all seriousness, thank you all. <laughs> yes, we do have a sustaining bag over this month called Hail the Visionary. No, they had no idea I was going to say those words. I had no idea I was going to say those words. Something just took over me. Um, but but seriously, uh, we, we have had some churn this month, and uh, that presence, those folks are, are keeping us stable at the moment. Uh, there is a bright future. Uh, ahead for us here at NoPro. I can see it. It's emerging right now. I've got a whole lot of people to thank, uh, particularly next week. I'm trying not to jinx something. Something's happening. Something something should be happening while you're listening to this, but it only should be. You never can tell. So hitting up patreon.com slash not only powers the podcast and the websites for NoPro and everything immersive, it also gets you into our member-only Discord. In fact, we've started scheduling backer-only and professional hangouts in the Discord, weaving together our community a little tighter over coffee, something I've been getting myself up early for. Uh, If you're already a backer, don't forget to link your Patreon account to the Discord and drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice and share the articles you find useful on your social media platform of choice, even on Blue Sky. Uh, it helps immensely. We are always no proscenium, even on Blue Sky. (laughs) except on Insta, where we are no underscore proscenium. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Nostry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Kurt Collins, Hale the Visionary, Winthorn, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, The Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart. We're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noproscenium.com for details. 
But if you do this weekend, don't expect a response until Tuesday. If you're listening to this on the weekend, this drops because I am out of town. Uh, yeah, more on that next week. Oh, and definitely more on that next week. And with that, let's get into this double feature to keep you tithed over until we're back to our normal broadcasting duties. Joining us now is Monica Miklas, Senior Manager of Creative Direction at RWS Entertainment Group, who many of you also know as the Director of Brassroots District Live in the Lot 73, and as one of the founders of Capital W, creators of the immersive shows Fire Season and Rochester 1996. Monica, it's so good to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. Um. Monica's a friend uh, and puts up with a lot from me, I think. <laughs> uh, so this will be like one of those like super informal conversations. You you just – I want to get into what you're doing at RWS yeah. uh, because um, the, the, this this arc you've been on from like in, indie creator who like I first met like producing stuff at the Hollywood Fringe to like directing the Themed Entertainment Association's award show and like popping all over the world doing immersive – on cruise ships. That's, that's, that's the executive summary uh, of what we're going to explore. But last time I saw you was a couple of weeks ago at, wow, you guys took a uh, Brassroots district down uh, to the, the festival. How, how'd that go? Oh my gosh. It was such a blast. We were so um, grateful to wow fest for having us and to everybody on the La Jolla playhouse team for making us feel so welcome. Um, so working with the creators of Brassroots District, Ari Hurston and Andrew Lieb, um, I came back aboard to direct this reincarnation of the show, um, which we had premiered in summer 21 in Los Angeles. And we took over Priebus Plaza outside the Rady Shell down at uh, Wow Fest, which was actually in downtown San Diego. And we recreated the lot. We made some script adaptations to change locations. We brought in a few new cast members and band members and worked them in um, and really got to reach a very different type of audience than we reached before, um, which had some fun challenges. Um, I think our, our second day performing went a little better than the first day, but I think people had a lot of fun. There were a lot of folks like I was, I was rolling that day with Todd Martins of the LA times and like that, that plaza was packed full of people and it was, it was such a, it was a very different vibe. Like it was a, it was a, it was a different crowd, but not, not entirely different. Like there was, there was some, is it not homogeneity? Like the, the opposite of homogeneity, right. You know, like uh, right. it, it was, it was, it was a, it was a mix, but very it was definitely so. different, definitely different than the folks who were coming to the arts district. Yes, it was weight. The crowd was weighted differently. I would say right. there were um, more folks, um, kind of 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 the next generation or two above where the creators are. We're all right in the thick of the millennial curve as right. a, the creative team. Yeah, there were um, Gen Xers and Boomers in the crowd. There were people totally. who were who were actually at these kinds of shows yes. in the seventies in the crowd. Right. Totally. In a there were those folks at our original run too, but it was a higher proportion of the crowd mm -hmm. down in San Diego, but we still had young people. There was a lot of diversity in the crowd. 
Um, there were a few people who made the trip down from LA who'd already seen it before and wanted to see it again. That was really gratifying. Um, and I did get a lot you've got of people, brassies. You've got real life brassies. Real life brassies, <laughs> I know. Um, and there were a lot of folks who came up to me and said, you know, I was going to concerts in 73 and here's, here's who I saw. And I saw Sly and the Family Stone and that was pretty awesome. I, I had one. Here's what I did in the back of a van in 1970. Yes. It's like, whoa, 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 okay. whoa, whoa, too much. <laughs> yeah. I had one really special connection with um, a fan. She did tell me how old she was. And now I can't remember. She was in her 50, like late 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. And we just shared this really special moment in the final song of the show, which is called Together. And the chorus uh, goes, people coming together and people dreaming about the kind of world this could be. And she looked at me, we're all standing in a circle, and she looked at me and said, we really have to, we really have to come together. Like she was almost in tears. And like, we hugged, she kissed me on the head. Like it was so sweet and so genuine. It really reminded me of the power of that show. Yeah. Uh, I was was excited for you guys to like get, to like expose it to a different group of people and because wow was free this year just to like remove the price barrier like what happens when we can just share art share performance with folks and and just whoever wants it you know like whoever really wants it just come and get it right um and so it was was really good to see so many people in in that crowd absolutely so fun to see the mix of families of older folks of young people yeah people who might not normally get to attend a theater festival let alone at a sort of avant-garde um progressive theater festival like wow i I was amazed by the numbers of people at that festival it's quite cool so let's circling around to what your your day job is these days and like what's what's kind of exciting for, for me uh from the outside is like you know, you've, you've been in the nonprofit world for a very long time. You, you had a lot of development gigs. You were, you know, working for institutions here in LA and, and just watching you transition from producer side to director side in, in, in and creative side. And now you're, you've got a title of senior manager of creative direction and you're working for RWS. Now the folks who listen who are in the themed entertainment industry know who already RWS is, right. but I think a lot of like our our theater kids and and definitely like our VR kids like don't know. So for starters, who are, what is RWS Entertainment? Yeah. RWS Entertainment Group is the world's largest entertainment provider for the leisure and hospitality industry. So uh, in short, that means we provide uh, entertainment for um, places where people are going to have fun. So places like cruise ships, places like theme parks and resorts, Um, And we develop entertainment that has performers. There's sort of a a traditional proscenium-based song and dance division of our work that's really fun and and people truly love. We also develop um, experiences uh, that are more walkthrough, more environmental. Um, I'm working on a lot of projects like that this year. We do a fair number of haunts. We do a lot of holiday activations all over the country. And we also um, have, uh, we're now a a family of companies. The company has grown in the last couple of years. So RWS encompasses JRA, which is one of the the most um, revered 
themed entertainment design firms in the country. Um, a company called TED, which is based out of the UK, doing very similar work in leisure and hospitality, but also has some very interesting um, divisions working in animation, in merchandise, in mm. technical and AV. And then uh, also a, a casting company called Arc, which was formerly a Binder Casting, again, a, a highly respected Broadway casting firm um, founded by Jay Binder, the late Jay Binder. So we really aim to be kind of a one-stop shop for a client that they could partner with JRA to do master planning, to develop a theme park, to develop a new addition. Then they could work with RWS to develop entertainment solutions with TED on AV, with merch, and then uh, ARC, Casting by ARC, can cast the whole thing for them. So we create this pipeline for clients where we can be with them from the start to finish and then the, the continued operations of a project. So taking a project from inception through casting and and and, and even helping guide the operation, it sounds like, is, is, yes. is what, literally what you just said. There was a technical glitch. But shorter, glitch thank you. Like, yes. <laughs> no, I, mean, I was also reminding myself because we just had a technical glitch and I wanted to like get my brain up to speed. Of course. They won't, they won't know there was an edit there. Um, <laughs> so so what? So that's that's the arc, right? Like yeah. what's what part of the game are you in? Like where, do, where, yeah. does, where, does, where does the Monica magic enter into the formula? Totally. So I work within uh, RWS proper um, in our land division. So I'm on um, a large team that manages everything happening on land as opposed to at sea on cruise ships. Okay. So um, some of Does my- Does the clients... admiral is the one who handles the stuff? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's an admiral. Yeah, it, no. There's an admiral. Okay, there's good. No admiral. Right, just making sure. Right, um, you know. Yeah. Monica by land, Admiral by sea. Got it. Correct. Okay, good. Correct. Um. Yeah. So um, our, our land division has kind of two parts. We have a creative team and a production team, and we work, you know, side by side in collaborative teams based on different projects. So um, I can't talk about all of my projects, but um, right. uh, like the, the Theas are a perfect example. Um, the Themed Entertainment Association's annual gala and award show. Um, a, a team from RWS produced the Theas this year and um, will produce again next year. And I worked with a, a production team. There was also an art director. I served as the creative director. And together we, um, you know, kind of covered everything from the concepting to the actual execution of the event. I've seen work you've produced from, you know, the Lost Moon radio shows, mm -hmm. which are these, you know, fun comedy musical events that that's, that's where I first knew you from back at the Hollywood Fringe. So like real DIY, but executed at a high level events all the way to the, the, the super intimate work. I mean, you know, Fire Season was this deeply personal audio based story where we only saw you at the end. Right. Uh, and, and had a, and had a connective kind of communal moment. What, how much of your entire, you know, bag of tricks do you get to deploy into this space? Because coming from the outside, looking at this particular type of themed entertainment, like th the sense is very corporate, like mm -hmm. again, from the outside, everybody, right? Like I'm sitting here sure. going like, oh, you know, go into a resort and, you know, you're going to see like the resort's 7 p.m. show or, you know, getting on the cruise ship. And it's like, 
actually, I don't know what happens on cruise ships because I've never been on a cruise ship. But nevertheless, um, you know, something that's that's super structured and and doesn't necessarily have that that kind of funky quirk that 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 uh, you know doesn't color inside the lines vibe that indie theater and immersive theater, particularly indie immersive theater, tends to have. So so yeah what what gets to get deployed in here or or are are things changing in in rws's world in terms of what those audiences are maybe open to mm. slash maybe even are, are their expectations changing this cuz this is i think this is the the, the big question that that i have about all of this is how open are the clients and how open are the audiences to these new paradigms of experience and entertainment? Yeah. Well, let me start with that um, question about clients. I I think that a lot of our clients are recognizing that there is a shift happening in the entertainment industry, in live entertainment. And audiences are, I think, becoming more sophisticated and they want to be inside of stories. And we see Mm -hmm. this all over, you know, uh, Galactic Star Cruiser at Disney is such a prime example of this, of people wanting to be inside the story. And we are getting that uh, request from clients. Now, clients are at different points of readiness for that. Audiences Mm -hmm. are at different points of readiness. So when I think about kind of the bag of tricks that I've developed over the course of my career, the things that always come up are an adherence to story and to storytelling across experiences and looking for all the places where uh, there are natural touch points and then thinking about how can those touch points become story points as well. Mm. So for instance, you have to check in at a box office to go to a theater show. How can that be part of the storytelling? Um, You have to be uh, onboarded. How can the onboarding become part of the storytelling? So that doesn't change, even though perhaps the, uh, the level of interactivity is quite different in some of this more uh, corporate theater than it would be in DIY. That adherence to story first is always there. Is that a matter of scale? Like just the sheer number of people that are being involved? You're you're nodding your head. Yes. Uh, Throughput is a huge uh, consideration. Um, I have one project right now which I can't talk about too much yet, but <laughs> the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the the throughput is something like 600 people per hour, oh. and I'm not sure 600 people have ever seen one of my shows before. Uh, yeah. Maybe grassroots at this point, I yes. think, is is over that number, and that's probably the only one. So, you want to create that feeling of intimacy for all 600 people, or or you know, over the course of the night, 2,400 maybe. But you can't do it in exactly the same way that you could if you were dealing with 48 people in a night in four groups of 12. So it it creates these new design challenges. And and this is where I'm so grateful that I'm now on these larger teams where uh, there's an art director. Typically, there are multiple designers who are funded to be there throughout the entire process. I think when you're doing DIY theater, um, it's a little more catch-as-catch-can in terms of design, at least the way that Capital W has worked in the past. Well, I think it's the way that everyone wants to work. 
<laughs> right? You know, like, oh, hey, is Dino available tonight? No. Okay. Is he available tomorrow? Yeah. Right? Like, can we get him? When when do we have him? Yeah. And we've worked yeah. with brilliant designers over the course of, of Capital W's life, but very often- Oh, yeah. No, seriously. Like, you know, like Shing, for instance, right? Uh, you know, Shing is amazing. Some... Shing and yeah. Core, uh, production design Hamlet Mobile, and they are a genius. Um, like certified, I think literally wasn't genius credit at some point. No, yeah, I, I literally certified. Yeah, They're yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, but very often, for instance, uh, Lauren Ludwig, my creative partner, they're designing the costumes because we don't have an official costume designer. So on a specific show, it's rare that we have kind of the full suite of right. a design team, and that's quite different in uh, the world I'm working in now with RWS, and and that's kind of a fun change you know a fun change of pace are those designers like are they excited by the prospect of of this how do we scale intimacy challenge very much so i really have felt that the teams that i'm on we we have even an immersive division within rws and both the production team and the creative teams are really aligned in wanting to create those special moments for guests um we talk a lot about creating an emotional souvenir for guests mm. and that can happen regardless of scale. And I think that's important to remember. And so it's about trying to find balance and um, finding solutions that can work for people at different levels of desired engagement. It's the, the waiters, swimmers, divers yeah. thing. Yeah. Like for waiters, we don't need to provide a one-on-one -on -one with a character for every single waiter. They don't need that. And that's okay. That, that, that is totally fine that that's how they want to play. But for divers, we want to make sure that it's there for them. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, what's interesting about the waiter swimmer divers metaphor, right? Is that particularly whenever we're, whenever we're talking about making systems out of things or whenever we're talking about abstracting humans and human behaviors into something that can be treated kind of programmatically, we forget that the innate spark of, or well, we can lose sight of, I don't think we necessarily forget, but we can lose sight of the fact that, that the innate spark of human agency means on any given day, you might be one of those roles. Just because you've been a diver before doesn't mean you're always going to be a diver. Some people are always going to lead with that. Like that's, that's like why they come. But like, I know in my experience, I usually, I mean, I usually walk into, I usually wade into an event before I decide to dive, right? Like I, I Me walk too. in and like, um, I'm like, oh, do I really want to, do I, do I want to hold my breath? Do I want to get down in there? Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's see what they have, have to offer. And I think, I think a lot of people, uh, I see this in the indie and the people going from indie to trying to get to, to slightly larger, like they think they're designing for one type or they think that they've got like different tracks for the different types. And it's like, the, you know, life isn't a role-playing game. You're not a character class, you know, like, you know, uh, you may have woken up this morning and you just need a deep connection. You may have woken up this morning and be like, I couldn't handle one person asking me for a favor today, even a fictional character, you know, like, it's please so help me. No, I'd rather watch no, you thank die. You. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, suffer for me, please. You know? yes. <laughs> I've had that same experience as an audience member. Some, I find that in experiences where I can talk, where I can speak to characters, I tend to be more of a diver 
and in experiences that are more quiet or, or where I have to be silent, I hang back. I, I, I don't know why <laughs> that's the case, but I have observed that to be the case in myself. I tend to find like when, when something's got, you know, real, when something's got real, like bring your own fun energy, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm way dependent upon what mood I'm in that day. And I'll either be full on like, you need to impress me because mm-hmm. like I'm not having it. Or I'll be like, oh, you're not telling me, you didn't give me an injunction. You didn't let me know like who I am in this world. Well, guess what? I'm an agent of chaos. And like, oh, no. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm, you know, Every producer's one show we, worst nightmare. Well, but like, hey, it's their it's their own fault, right? Like there's there's a show recently, like the the framing the, the framing was, you know, oh, we're we're dealing with like modern cryptids and like they could appear like Ooh. people. And like we weren't given we weren't given real strong sense of like who we were in the world. Yeah. Uh and the world was kind of like loosely sketched. And I'm like, well, I know from the Lord that there are, you know things that aren't human in human bodies. So I'll just be one of those, you know, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, or I'll just ambiguously act like it, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll just be like, I'll, I don't know. Other people could think that maybe I'm part of the show, you know, right. but again, because I wasn't given, I wasn't given a strong injunction, but given like a lot of free roam agency, right. It's like, you know, yeah. and that's, that I feel is like the problem people set up for themselves is like, if you're saying like, make your own fun, because they're designing, they're assuming that everyone's going to be a diver, but that everyone's going to, everyone's going to stick to the path that they have laid out, right. even if the path isn't really obvious. And so these are these are some of the design faux pas people are, are, are running themselves into. Yeah, I really feel that you have to model how you want people to play in the world. That's the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we'll talk dive in on that actually, if you yeah. could, like, like. like how do you how do you mean? Are you talking about what the yeah, how do you how do you model for people how they should be behaving? Right. I guess for me this comes up in performer-driven experiences. And I should say a lot of my work right now for RWS does not have performers, which is something interesting we could talk about too, that transition. Yeah, let's do that in a second. But with performers, um, you know, I'll think about these the cruise ship shows we did last fall. Our team mm-hmm. developed um, a package of shows for MSC cruises, which are fully immersive. The audience is cast when they enter in a, a particular role, depending on the show. And we have to show them what is acceptable within the world. So for instance, there's a one show where everyone is cast as a, a spy basically a graduate of a spy academy. And we have other uh, graduates who are the performers and they have these pool noodle swords. And <laughs> got a little cruise ship because yeah. they were already there, right? It's like, hey, what do we have? Pool noodles. Pool noodles. We had to order the pool noodles. Okay, um, okay. And they're special. They're short. So they're oh, not special quite order. as, yeah, okay. they're not quite as, um, they're not quarter staff pool noodles. Yeah, they're they're no, sword they're length pool noodles. Yes. Correct. Correct. All right. I get and it. And there's I get it. blue and green because there's two different sides. And we have to kind of model for people in the pre-show how to play with their swords and and to not hit performers with them. Because sometimes that right. would come up that kids would kind of gang up on a particular performer and try to beat them up with their pool noodle swords. 
So kids should, should people should stop showing showing kids uh, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Like just like don't teach your children to to beat up the performers, please. Anyway, right, please. so anyway, um, so we realized we had to be really clear with the performers. Hey, um, when you're modeling sword fights, make sure you're not actually making contact with other performers. Make sure you're mm. only going like noodle to noodle contact. And that sort of teaches people, this is what we're doing. We're doing noodle sword fights. We're not banging each other with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's just one example. (laughs) Which is a good example, right? It's like people will, people will model. And even if it's not conscious, like if they see, if they see something, they'll assume it's acceptable. Exactly. Exactly. That's how humans are. It is. We're Um, mimics. And from the time that we're babies, um, that's how we that's how babies learn about the world is by mimicking the people around them. So it's innate to us. And so we have to be very, very careful. Another great example from another one of those shows is um, it's kind of the sexy show in the package. It's it's much more dance driven. I would say there's slightly less story, Um, but you're on a yacht outside Ibiza and um, you're at this, this kind of hedonistic dance party. And I told the performers, hey, you've got to be careful in how you touch each other during this show. Because mm. there ended up being some people who were in relationships with each other. So there's a possibility of like, oh, you'd get, you know, your comfort level of touch between each other is going to be much higher than your comfort level with the audience. Right. So if you don't want the audience grabbing your butt, don't grab another performer's butt. Yeah. Don't model that. Yeah. And that was kind of an interesting one too. It's true. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just brass tacks, full facts. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned uh, before we started on this, on this track about uh, taking on this challenge in the work where you're, you, it's not performance driven, where yeah. you, where you're doing a lot of work where you don't have you, know, you, you you have the design challenge of we're going to take away a key part of your normal palette. So how's that going? How are you approaching that? It's been a real challenge for me. Uh, I am so uh, attuned to performance by nature. You know, I am a performer um, moving more into directing in the last few years. I have gained even a greater vocabulary with working with performers. Um, again, really modeled off of so much that I've learned by working so closely with Lauren. Um, so it is, yeah, it is working without one of the paints in my palette. Um, it's made me realize that sometimes in, in one of these experiences, we need an emotional arc more than we need a narrative arc. Yes. Yes. We need the feeling of a story, the feeling of climax, release, denouement but we don't necessarily need a literal story. And I think sometimes when we are fixated on literal story, we can get lost in the weeds and it doesn't come across to guests. I am so glad you said that. Like, this is something like, even before I was in this space, even before I was like dealing with immersive, I was like, when I'd be going and like reading all the Save the Cat screen playbooks, right? Back when I had the aspirations of of, of doing screenwriting, right? Mm -hmm. And like, going through and, and, and sort of rejecting the formula or watching that guy like, and, 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 and he, he did a lot to shape a lot of people's minds and he's passed. And like, you know, it's, it's actually, in some ways it's a great boon, right? Like that, that book is useful 
uh, if you if you need a blade in to kind of go at or Robert McKee's story or any of these things. Mm-hmm. But like watching him, watching everyone, watching him map, say like Christopher Nolan's Memento, or like being you know grouchy about Christopher Nolan's Memento not fo- following the formula, or being able to mm-hmm. find the formula through, because you start to realize that it's the emotional arcs. It's the vibes of that arc. If you're getting the emotional vibes through, maybe the plot is like shattered and going nonlinear or Mm -hmm. just the information's not coming at you in a way that's clean, but because the characters are on this discernible emotional arc, the, the rise, the fall, the whole nine yards, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what, what the, the facts of the case are if the feeling is there yes and 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 that's like the the hidden truth the dirty secret is you know the plot kind of doesn't matter like these things can be more these things are more poetry mm. than they are mathematical formula um, you know, it's very interesting and relevant um lauren and i have been talking lately about plots because uh, i mm. have started writing a musical to, which is weird and exciting You've um, been around a musical for a couple of years now, so I find it a little you know, less weird. <laughs> I th- I'm not a musician, and so I, I, I think I have a great ear for music, but I, I can't make music. So, book, book by one person, lyrics by the other. That's, that's the go. other beautiful part of the musical world. Exactly. Took me a long time to appreciate that, but yes. it's true. Yeah. But anyway, I've, Lauren and I have been talking about plot, and um, I, I was telling her that, you know, I'm so scared of plot. From a large degree. I think it's why as a writer, even since I was a child, it's very hard for me to finish things. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like creating worlds, you know, like fire season is is very much an example of how I typically write and it's it's impressionistic, it's feelings, it's yeah. images. Um, but plot is quite difficult for me. And she made the great point that like the plot, it's like the mechanics of the plot don't matter. It's how you write it. The plot is a container. It's it's the glass and the story is the wine in the glass. Yeah. And that's going to be different every time. Even if it's Hamlet, you could retell Hamlet forever and ever. Right. By changing, you know, the hand of the artist will change the story. Well, it's, so it's why, been, you know, they talk about there only being so many plots in the world. Exactly. And, and, and people... I think younger creators, this is one thing I wish I could have disabused myself, right? You know, would have, would have shaped things better for me, you know, just be like, oh, don't, don't worry about the fact that your plot's not original. Like people much wiser than you figured out, there's only a few, like this is, this is not like, you're not going to come up with like, I came up with the plot that no one can, nope, nope, you're not, you're, you're coming up with something different. Your job is to, your job is to play the instrument the right. way you play the instrument, not... That's exactly it. Yeah. Like, I, as a writer, I'm never going to write the usual suspects. Like, right. twists and surprises, and it's just not... I don't think of myself as a terribly clever person. Um, but to be able to take a story that has been told a thousand times and tell it a new way, that feels right. That feels doable. Yeah. So it's been, an, it's been um, quite a relief. <laughs> It's kind of funny that it, it took someone, I mean, Lauren is incredibly wise and has studied story her entire career. So it makes sense that she's the one who told me that. But it, it was strange that I couldn't get there myself, I think, given how deeply ingrained in the creative process I am. It was such a blinder. 
but that's I mean that's part of it, right? It's like the more ingrained you get, the the more you've d- dug your own tunnel into this, the mm. harder it is to think about the other tunnels. And then someone right. has to like you know Kool Aid man their way into your reality tunnel and be like, oh, yeah. there's a whole other thing over here, right? Like why are you go chasing that? Don't worry about that, totally. you know. Like or to turn you around and and point you at what you've already done and be like, look at how pretty this is, right? You know mm. that's 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 part of the whole thing. That's why it's great having someone like a Lauren Ludwig around, you know, it is, uh, it is truly great. <laughs> yeah. The, the missing third person on this one in some ways, you know, like, indeed, indeed. you know, she's, you know, her, 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 her not dead force ghost is uh, following us around. On this yes. One. Lauren is not dead. Lauren is <laughs> not alive. dead. No, no. no. Oh God. Why did, I even, why did I even say that? Why am I tempting? Oh God. No, 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 no. I might cut that part. So, um, okay. Probably won't. I'm too silly. Um, what what advice would you give? And, and part, I'm asking this part because I think this will come out. I think after summit, but you'll have been mm-hmm. on this this panel putting together about people doing you know or salon about people making their careers in immersive. Right. Um, and and I look at the career you've 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 carved out for yourself, and I'm wondering what advice would you give the the Monica who was producing Lost Moon Radio circa like 2012. Oh my gosh. Like, like what advice? Yeah. Baby Mon, who, what what would you give? What would you give Baby Mon? uh, What advice would you give her? uh, Hmm. Or, or particularly like not, not just, not just Lost Moon. Let's go to like Hamlet Mobile, like Hamlet Mobile Monica. What would you tell her right now? If you could. Interesting. I did not prep Monica for this one, everybody. So like I'm, yeah. I'm going to vamp for a second and just let her think about, you know, the the ham van, all those actors, Shing's amazing design, this improbability, you know, uh, uh, this improbable thing that was there running around, sitting in lawn chairs on on street corners in Hollywood. Oh, and mind you, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the pod before, but the first time we did it, when I was sitting in the lawn chair in my my jumpsuit, my mechanics jumpsuit. I was in the midst of a an, a terrible tooth problem, and I don't think we talked about the show, but I think you have mentioned it to me personally. Yeah, yeah. I was in just unbelievable constant pain, and then was high on Vicodin for like four days, which made me very sick. But it was the only way I could eat uh, while I was waiting to get the root canal. So I was just high out of my mind, sitting on the sidewalk in Hollywood, in a jumpsuit with a skull on the back. So, yep. <laughs> That was my twenties. So, so is most of the advice you'd give baby mom just like get like a, a dental insurance plan or get dental insurance. <laughs> one get dental one. insurance and yeah. like don't wait to go to the dentist when you have tooth pain. Um, no, it, it's tough for me because so much of the the switch recently in my career was really motivated by the need for financial stability, and. I, so some of my advice to my younger self would be really motivated by that. Like, I think I was, um, I was kind of looking in the wrong place for stability Mm. early in my career by uh, maybe not wrong place. I guess I would have expanded my horizons about where I could find a sustainable job early. Um, I was very focused on the nonprofit world, which I, I 
I'm glad I spent so much time in. I feel strongly about it. But I kept running up against this thing where I was in conflict between the the mission of the organization I was in and then the mission of my own theater company. They were too close. And that was difficult. Whereas the work I do now, I, you know, 90% of my time is spent on RWS. And it makes the, like the off hours and the weekend hours that I spend on my own work much more precious um, and much more focused. That's not to say that the work I did before wasn't focused, but it was, I also wasn't like feeding the kind of the, um, the earth parts of my being like the, the physical tactile material parts of my existence because that felt so profane and it is nice to have vision insurance. It's nice to have dental insurance. I I am, I'm really enjoying a season of having my physical needs met in a more robust way. And I honestly wish I'd known more about themed entertainment as a younger producer, because it just never really seemed available to me. It wasn't on my radar until a few years ago. And then I went, Oh, these are actually places where I can really do what I want to do as opposed to the nonprofit world where to, to move up and, and to advance your fundraising. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but that is the, that is the life. And you really can only be fundraising for one thing at a time. Yeah, no, it, it's very much true. I mean, I, I keep on casting my own mind back to, you know, my college days and it's, it's funny. Cause like, one of the folks that came out of like the folks who came out of the school, some, some folks, you know, they, they ran it, you know, Broadway, some folks, they ran it indie theater, some folks, they ran it film. Uh, and like one guy like sort of fell into a job at universal, like mm-hmm. out of college. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think literally like coming, came down to like run at film, but I was like, got a day job at the park. Right. And you know, he was stage managing things and now he's like, he's up in the ranks. Right. Cause he's been at it for like a quarter, you know, better basically a quarter of a century now. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so he's, he's a key member of that team and you know, late nineties, early, early aughts coming out of theater school or coming out of like a theater program at a, at a state university, like I did, like generally, you know, unless you were coming out of CalArts or SCAD or somewhere that was feeding that industry, you did yeah. not know that theater people wound up inside themed entertainment. Like yet, 10 years ago, I didn't know it. No, I didn't yeah. either. And, and yeah. yet you go to a, a themed entertainment meetup, almost everyone's a theater person way back. Almost every single person is almost a Almost everybody. Yeah. And the way that our industry works, the way that we work on projects is so familiar to theater people. It's, it's project-based. It's you're, you're with this group, like kind of the natural hierarchy is very similar. So it's very comfortable as a theater person to work in themed entertainment. And I am, I mean, I went to graduate school for theater management and nobody ever brought it up. Yeah. And I, I'm shocked by that now. I mean, I graduated in 2015. Yeah. Not that long ago. No. And I'm just shocked that that was never kind of presented as an option because the skills are so transferable and And you were doing that sustainable. Yeah. And you were doing that here in the Southland and and, and you, and you, and you did the grad school here in the Southland 
where there's all these companies, right? There's two places where there's a lot of themed entertainment companies, Southern California and Florida, uh, for reasons that are completely obvious, right? Right. And, and, and I, yeah. I think the designers were perhaps more aware. I mean, Brittany Blauk was the same year as me, and um, she's had an incredible career in themed entertainment at a number of, of very highly respected companies. And I just don't know why it didn't dawn on me. Um, it was really kind of set up that, you know, you graduate from this program, which I really, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm no, 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 the program. Really, yeah. I think it's, I think this is a broader issue. Yeah. Um, but it was like your, your career path is to become a managing director at a nonprofit. And I started to realize like, that doesn't really fit my, it's not really a fit for me. I, I need to have a, my creative side be part of my everyday life. I need to have more of an artistic voice. Um, and managing directors don't really get that. Um, you know, they have a say, but they're not choosing seasons. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it took a long time to kind of get off that nonprofit track and figure out there's got to be something different here. And I think the other thing happening was that the industry was growing. I think themed entertainment has kind of exploded. Yeah. And there's more opportunities now than there were eight years ago. And, and hopefully, hopefully even more as we watch, you know, retail and commercial real estate, try and figure out WTF to do with all the stock they have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we are starting to see bits and pieces of that. Um, yeah. Well, Monica, speaking of themed entertainment, you got to, you got to, and day jobs. Uh, I should probably let you go do, do yours. So, I have a meeting uh, in 10 minutes. <laughs> oh my God. So let's let you go. Um, okay. Monica and Nicholas, uh, all the links will be in the show notes to to connect with you in all the various ways. And uh, like I said, this will be after summit. So we're not going to plug the summit here, but I'm okay. glad you got to come through and uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to hanging out with you in a couple of weeks uh, IRL. So likewise, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure as always. Earlier this month, you may have heard me talk about Monsterama, which is part of Tribeca Immersive this year, a fascinating pass-through MR experience currently previewing on the Oculus Quest and starring Andy Serkis. Joining us today from Atlas Five, creators of Monsterama and many other experiences are Clement Deneux, the director of Monsterama, and Michael Masukawa, VP Business Dev Partnerships and Strategy. Um, I said VP when I probably should have Vice President, Michael. VP is <laughs> good. Thank, thanks so much for having us here. Um, Absolutely. I've been, yeah. been, a, been a longtime uh, follower of the uh, podcast, the newsletter. Um, you know, working in VR, I started in 2017. And very early on in the days of VR, you know, we talked about kind of creating that sense of presence of being there and look to immersive theater as, and sleep no more, you know, because specifically as reference points. So everyone you know, told me, you got to go see it. Um, and, and that's how I kind of caught wind of No Persinium. Um, telling me about different immersive theater events here in Los Angeles that I could actually attend. Um, and I saw quite a bit of good stuff uh, up until the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, really enjoyed your kind of podcast and community and everything you and Catherine and the team put yeah. out there. So thanks for providing that. Absolutely. I mean, Michael, I've always been like uh, aware of you like at a distance, like here in LA. Like, I think we might have like crossed paths like once or twice over the years, like at some spot, but it's like, there's always all these meetups and whatnot, but I got, I got very excited when I saw that you're with Atlas five uh, these days, because um, there's almost, there's few companies that have their fingers in the pie of VR and AR and MR 
quite the way Atlas V does. And I had I had just uh, thanks to thanks to the PR team, I had just gotten a chance to experience Monsterama and had my first uh, I'll put a explicit tag in this, but had my first holy shit uh, moment in in the headset uh, in quite some time thanks to this piece. Um, so Clement, I wanted to, 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 to run to you up top and maybe you could like explain what this thing is for folks who haven't had a chance to experience it at Tribeca. Yeah. <clears throat> so Monstrorama is a mixed reality. So MR piece, uh, it's a vertical sliced, meaning it's like a preview or pilot for a future game or future experience. But that we hope to to finish. So what you get um, to try it's like a, the, the introduction to to the future game, and it's a, it's a, an experience where you are you get uh, visit a, monst- a museum of monsters, and um, and the uh, the interesting part is that you, the the museum is not somewhere; it's inside your own place, inside the the place where the the player will play. Could be a living room. It could be uh, anywhere he wants to to experience the uh, the project. So so that basically it. It's a museum of monsters that you get get chance chance to visit. And uh, for this introduction, we have uh, one monster, which is the werewolf. It's that the fact that you only have the werewolf, like. I'll admit, I didn't know that because I've only gone through once. And I was drawn to the werewolf instantly. I was like, I want to see the werewolf. And then like the the little the little monster on your wrist said, like, oh, he always chooses the werewolf. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's I wonder if I didn't have any other options. But I went, I went straight for the werewolf. Uh they're looking also, at me right oh, now. Yeah, the trick was yeah. working for you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um You've you've you have worked uh, in in this field before a, a few times now. Uh, you've you've uh, that's that's a super generic way of saying like you know this is not your first rodeo uh, working in VR MR. What is fundamentally different about this kind of pass through project? Because I was aside from like having to set up the quest to do room scale pass through for the first time, which, which is itself like a different setup process. It's gotta be a remarkably different challenge dealing with more of someone's localized built environment in terms of how you're going to approach telling the story. Yeah, in fact, it, it's my third project in MR. I made a few pieces in VR, so it's really different. In um, because in VR, you you are totally emerged into an, another world or different world. So it, it was um, I don't know if it's easier, but the the fact here that you need technically it was a big challenge because you had to um, we had to create a, a space a, a piece that you can that can fit. Uh, any places so um, technically we had to create a, a full uh, 3d cgi environment that you that can uh, adjust to any uh, any uh, any room any uh, any living room so that was the the, the main challenge uh, technically but uh, also narratively because we 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 had to use the the, the specificity and the 
of the MR, the fact that you can uh, go from VR to AR to your own place, reality to virtual reality, and you can jump from this place to another place uh, like that. So we had to find some 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 stories, some narrative uh, paths to yeah to enlarge the the living room or the space of the player and to create this uh, museum that happen inside your own uh, own space. That's, so narratively, narratively, it was uh, quite uh, quite also challenging because you you can't um, yeah you need to use um, everything. Um, you need to use walls. You need to use uh, uh, it could be uh, holes in your ceiling on your floor, or it could be uh, you can use windows, or doors. Um, everything we know we know that uh, the player will have on his own uh, personal space. Um, but also we, we had to find um, something that can be um, that can evolve following the the different place, different space. So yeah, that was the main uh, challenge uh, technically and, and for the narrative part. Because like the, the, the technical part of it is, you know, seems obvious, right? You know, now there's going to be animated figures moving through, you know, uh, uh, not even approximation, but moving through your real space. Like the, the degree to which it's approximated is because the, the, the cameras on the quest are for at least on, on the one I've got are black and white, right? Like there's some that will have color and others have black and white uh, and, and that technology is evolving, but the, the narrative affordance, you know, has got to be maybe conceptually the, the harder part. Like what's, what's showing up inside someone's home. So I'm sort of, you guys, for, at least for this version, for this slice, you cho- choose to represent this as kind of like a freight elevator that yeah. that manifests. I'm wondering how did that creative choice get made as a way of anchoring uh, someone's someone being in this half into their world and half into your world. Yeah, but once we we decide that uh, in fact the museum will be not uh, visited, but we the museum will be in fact go into your own place. Hmm. Uh, we'll have to find a. How we can move the place of the, the player. So um, um, yeah, the, the idea was to use the ceiling as um, a way to enlarge the space of the player. So because it's you can create like a, um, yeah another another ceiling on, only in 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 three D in CGI. So you can give the feeling of the play for the player that oh my ceiling is now 10, 10 meters or ten feet. Uh, higher, so it, it works very well in uh, in uh, in the MR, and also because we all know that uh, uh, everybody will play the game, will have uh, one wall that we can use as a main wall for the experience. So we use the wall as a window to another world for this experience. It will be like a, the old diorama in the old museum when you can see uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Fake mm-hmm. animals on behind behind windows, so we use the same kind of uh, universe to lock the monsters into the museum of monsters. So, for the player, they will have their own wall be- becoming like a big window where the monster will be uh, locked inside. It it felt like such an effective way to create this this overlap between reality and fantasy, 
And like to this day, like I look up at my ceiling and I can still sort of see the infinite regress of, of the freight elevator. I was, I think that was the thing that kind of like, it actually was, it was looking up and seeing like, oh, I'm, I'm this, my room is now traveling. And that was the moment that kind of really got me um, almost more than anything other than just the, the very natural way, the, 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 the character, the little, uh, flying drone uh robot head was going around just just the way that was relating to me um maybe to to stay on that for a moment and then michael i want to kind of get in some some broad picture stuff about like what does it mean that this kind of work is starting to emerge uh, at the festival level and and then you know where the market is standing at the moment uh because of the 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 headset announcements that happened over the past month um but staying in, inside the narrative of of the the experience how how much effort was put into you know creating this character that Andy Circus is is voicing and and not so much embodying because it's a flying head that becomes a you know then becomes part of the wall spoilers sorry uh, but but there is a there's a real sense of kind of like relationship uh, between the participant and this character right from the jump. And um, I'm wondering how you approached creating that. You're talking about the, the flying drone or about yeah. the monsters? Because he made the two voices of the two. So Andy, Andy vo- voiced both the oh, yeah, narrator yeah. so, and the. So I'm talking about the flying drone. Because, like, yeah, no, I got, I, I, I did get that he's doing both the voices, but like, the, there was something about the flying drone. Because the, the, the one that's on your wrist, like, that's, there's, I don't want to say it's obvious, but like, because it's with you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's there, it's grounded in a space, and you kind of have to bring your hand up to sort of get the full effect. But then with, with the drone, for me, there was just something about the way it was like moving, like that it was moving around in my room from the start. That that felt a little magical to me, and and I'm just wondering, you know, it, it's 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 got to be, it's different from say, like working like a, a video game, even a video game in in 3D space where. Yes, the the avatar of the the character in the game and an NPC are at a at a relative distance, or the way you're you're moving around. This because it's your body, just like how you're animating the figure or how you're developing the re- the physical relationship between you know this this flying character and a person in their space, like is is. And part of the, the dumb part of me is like, how does that work? But I'm, I'm wondering, like, is it on this like a set track already? And is it me as the person moving this space is kind of like moving around it? Or is there like a relational thing that's going on, you know, position tracking with the headset to where the character is, right? It's trying to keep at a certain distance to me or whatnot. I don't know. Yeah. Could, could you fool yourself into thinking things are going on that aren't when you're playing these, when you're in these things? I'm wondering what's really going on there. No, it's it's quite simple. It's yeah. Technically, we had like a lock. Uh, the drone is locked to you, and it, okay. it stays at certain distance from you. And yeah. so we 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 um, design some um, some paths uh, for the drones to not to be to be too close to you to stay at the right distance. And we test few few distance to say oh now it's too close. It's because it start to become a little bit. Um, uh, 
to to frightening maybe. So we we yeah, we look we are we are looking for the right distance and um, and we have some uh, option to lock the, the 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 gaze of the drones to to your mm. to the headset. So we create this kind of relationship between the player and the, this thing. And so it was important to us to because you you enter into the world of Monsterama into through a portal in a way. Right. So it's more like a, at the beginning it was like a, the character was like a guide to to he will bring you into this world and he becomes the the the, the main the main character the main uh, the main encore man in a way uh, of the, this museum the creator of the museum so he, he will he will serve you as a guide for most of the experience after I maybe become something else but um, yeah it was like. It, a guide to the to the to the museum and a way to 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 show you the, the direction and to and to talk to you and after that the the, the fact that on um, the circus was really great to to create the character the voice and uh, to make it some maybe more um, uh, funny that we thought at the beginning and to give all, all this uh, variation of um, um, almost English uh, style uh, uh, voice and uh, vocabulary that create a very interesting character, I think. We have this sort of maxim in immersive theater that no production survives contact with the audience. Uh, everything sort of changes. I'm, I'm wondering when it came to developing that, you mentioned like, you know, oh, this was too close or maybe this is too far, like how that character was, was uh, the distance it was to the player. How early were you testing that with people in headset? Like how how soon did you start getting into the embodied mode of the design, or were those things that you were you were figuring out in in kind of animatic wireframes? Because I think that's the thing that that I'm most fascinated with in terms of VR storytelling and augmented reality or MR storytelling are the re- the, the, the the embodied relationships between these digital characters and the the actual participants and the way the illusion of connection is created through that uh you know just through the animation or through locking so is that something that you start you know within the first couple of weeks you know as soon as you've got a mock-up together throw someone in the headset and see how it actually looks in the headset or or does that kind of testing come later in the development process it's almost in two two process. At the beginning, we uh, design almost everything with with uh, gray boxes, and so the the drone will be just a, a big gray box, uh, sometimes too close to you, and and we 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 adjust all this uh, specific stuff. Maybe the next the last two weeks uh, to be to be yeah to be precise and and sharp with the. Um, yeah, with the with the distance between every everything, but I, I, I can. It's quite simple to to make some adjustments on on the Unity engine and and just start uh, just test uh, almost uh, immediately uh, with the tech uh, art tech developer. Cool, and and you just mentioned Unity, so you, this was built. Yeah, absolutely. Built Unity. All right, good to, good to know. That was that's a question that's been running through. I've been actually past couple of weeks like, what was this built on? So uh, and and trying to trying to assess that. I, could have just turned it back on. I'm sure it's got the Unity logo in there. <laughs> it's like, why the easy thing? Turn the turn the headset back on. I, that, that, that's often that's sometimes the, the the hardest part is turning the headset back on. Uh, with that as a rough segue, Michael, I wondered if you could sort of talk about where uh, where you see 
the the market at the moment because obviously we just had the Vision Pro announcement, but right before that we had the Quest Three announcement, and both of these devices are pushing you know pass through in in a in an aggressive way, like targeting two different parts of the the consumer market, obviously in terms of the prices. But do from where you're sitting, are you seeing? Uh, are you seeing this as a moment in time where pass through MR is going to have its moment in the sun and, and maybe you guys hit this crest at exactly the right moment? Yeah. Um, if I remember, I forgot if it was Oculus connect three or Oculus connect four, even then that, you know, meta was pushing um, hand tracking uh, as yeah. an option, trying to get developers to do it from um, cubism. I love that game and that's, you know, works with hand tracking. Um, so you know, for a while now, they've been trying to push developers to do both controller and hand tracking. So um, that tech is just keeps getting better and better. Um, and then with the Quest 2, you know, pass-through was a lot better. Um, Quest 3, uh, the Apple Vision Pro, obviously, um, pass-through pass is going to be really great um, on all these future headsets. So uh, I, I think we've started developing content at, yeah, like you said, kind of the right time to start showcasing all these uh, potentials um with both of these headsets and, and all future content so um whether that is um you know we designed a vr experience and also have a um extra mr experience that kind of goes on as an add-on to it um that might be something we explore or you know in this case the monsterama designing an mr experience from the ground up and just something creatively i want to touch on um you know one of the challenges here is we can't, we don't know what your room is, right? We can't say that, oh, everybody's going to have a a couch in their living room for this experience. But it would be super cool if we could do something where you hide behind your furniture and a monster stalking you around the room. So um, maybe maybe we'll have to do a level where it says, it requires um, (laughs) some some object in the middle of the room for you to hide behind, but requires a hiding spot. I I don't know if that that spoils kind of what would happen in, in future experiences, but, but that would be kind of, leaning more into the promise of the premise of this game to do something like that. Well, how, how is the, the studio as a whole, you know, both, both in, in terms of this game as maybe a, a showcase for what y'all can do, but, but also this, this idea of there isn't, there is a new platform, if you will, being developed here in pass through with, with MR. And, and a lot of people are seem to be excited about it. Um, maybe some of that's just like the novelty part of it. Um, you know, VR has been around for a minute. So like, ah, oh, but VR, we've already done VR. Uh, there's the fact that people are interacting with their own real spaces. Like there's, there's novelty there, but I'm wondering what does it really afford as creatives, um, in, in, in terms of interacting with people's real spaces that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, because my sense is that if pass-through is really going to be a thing, because because there's there is a technical challenge there. Like you were just talking about the creative possibility of oh someone's got a couch to hide behind or hide behind or or a chair that they could hide behind, but you don't know if they're going to have that. But then there's also just the compute power of tracking the room realistically, right? Or or getting to the point where maybe this could live in a few rooms in the house. So it's like I'm not just in one room, but like the werewolf's after me, I run to the kitchen, it can't find me in the kitchen, and I may be going around and around, right? Which would be really, really fun. Like running around the house, playing tag with, you know, a monster, right? Mm-hmm. Um we're getting closer in terms of compute power to be able to do that. Um 
Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would just say that you know I've been working in in I worked in tel- I started off in television, uh, transitioned mm-hmm. into VR in twenty seventeen, and uh, working at Secret Location when we get pitches and when we're developing projects, we always ask why VR, why why does right. the story need to be told in VR? What does that sense of presence do to elevate it? Um, if it's you know back in the Oculus Rift, HTC Vive days, you know what what's going to compel someone to power up their PC? launch Steam or Oculus and then put the headset on and do this experience versus just, you know, pick up your iPad or picking up your Nintendo Switch. And this that's still, you know, a question in VR. What what, you know, why why do you make this experience so compelling for that? And with MR, I think we um just need to do the same uh design considerations, which is um what is it about this story where MR tells it in a much better way? Um and you and you need MR to tell the story versus VR. And um, with, with Atlas, you know, I've, I've been looking at the company uh, for a long time. I saw Spheres, I saw Battlescar, um, um, you know, many, many of the other projects that they've done. And they always kind of, Gloomy Eyes, um, uh, you know, is also great. Um, but they always kind of keep pushing the boundaries of kind of innovation and storytelling. And I think here with, um, you know, this last week at Tribeca, we had this MR piece, we had a augmented reality piece, and we also had a AI film. Um, where we used um, sample diffusion and other techniques to kind of animate um, a, a live action film and turn it into kind of an animated film. Um, but uh, that, that's why I'm excited to be here uh, with this team and see uh, kind of uh, their point of view on, on MR and, and all these things and how we could push storytelling in new ways. And that's one of the things that's always impressed me about the studio is that there is an instinct for working at the edge of where the tech is, but always tying back to a sense of character, a sense of story, right? Like I don't get, for instance, super excited about stable diffusion uh, for, for all kinds of reasons, but watching that film, because there was, there was a film at the heart of it and it was, you know, it had a, a point and a theme and there was something very human coming through that piece. And with every single one of the pieces I've seen come through the studio, there's something very human, uh, even in this piece about monsters, right? Like you're, you're, you're telling a story about, you know, li- liberation and freedom and, you know, the, the abuse of the environment and the role that we can play or the role that we, we play passively or actively in, in those dynamics in this tiny little slice of a game about a werewolf. Um, and I don't think there's a, there's a question of that. It's just something yeah, that consistently, they, they, yeah, they, it's consistently, they, they, consistently, they, they, consistently put all that. No, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. No, yeah, just like, yeah. I mean, like, you guys could just be maybe know, trying to make some shooters, you know, like there's, those are, those are, those are popular things. Like why go the route? Uh, why be attracted to this stuff? Why go that route rather than just like maybe the lowest common denominator or, or the path of least resistance, which is, you know, grab a shooter or make like a, a, a social dynamic game as opposed to something that's like, you know, got an art side to it is generally for like, you know, one person or, or work on some like, you know, really complicated projects that have, you know, a, a social impact point. Why, why do, why go that way? Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've only been with the company five months. So just, oh, sorry, Clement, go ahead. No, it's yeah. okay. I just, I think yeah. uh, we, we are just um, concerned about the, the, about stories and the, the stories are important for us, I think. And um, 
the way the way we we told stories in this technology are, there is no point if you are not telling some something even if it's not a very um, it's a big thing but just uh, making the effort to just telling something uh, that we care about it's the um, it's the thing we, we we try to do for every project and um, I think every, a lot of other studios are very good to make good shooters. Uh, maybe we are not too good <laughs> enough to, to make ones. But yeah, I think for, for everybody working um, in, in the creative department and also in the um, technical department, uh, you can feel that the, the story we try to, to, to write and tell are, are important for everybody in their life and uh, in, their, in their work. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the DNA of the company. I think you're right. It's the, telling the best story we can with the technology we have. And um, I, I had the pleasure of uh, visiting the team in, in France uh, not too long ago. And um, I think we're just a group of passionate storytellers. Um, it, it's kind of French uh, to say, hey, you know, we care about the arts. We care about stories. And, um, <clears throat> you know, they do have a rich um, gaming history with Ubisoft and a lot of great gaming companies. But um, having spent time with the team at Atlas, um, I just think that, um, unless we're going to really do a great project that, that kind of moves this art form, uh, forward, then, then maybe that's not, not right for us. So, um, we definitely want to do commercial projects. Uh, we have some outside IP we're starting to work with, uh, Walls and Gromit Grand Getaway was just announced, uh, not too long ago. So we're very excited to work with Ardman Studios and bring that Walls and Gromit animation style into VR. I think, uh, we've really nailed it uh, with how we've done it. So again, that's kind of, you know, uh, taking, you know, some form, form of storytelling, it's going to have gameplay, it's going to have mini games, challenges, puzzles, things like that throughout. Um, but it is, you know, bringing an episode, a long episode of, of Wallace and Gromit into VR. So I think that's, that's kind of what, what, uh, got the team excited about that one. It also strikes me, like, I, I know how active, um, at least here in the States, like the French consulate tends to be like really active about promoting French XR, right? Like in a real way. Like I've, I even got summoned to the embassy one time. Uh, that, that's not a brag, it just happened. Um, and and it, it does give me some heart though, knowing how uh, corporate and commercial the States is, how little arts funding there is. And and even looking at say like England, you know, how how tight the arts funding can get there. The fact that, you know, France has this deep relationship with the cinema uh, and and supporting the arts as like a, a you know a, on a on a on a civic level that that is spilled over into the XR space gives me some hope that you know you you guys get to have a little bit more runway to get creative and and to push the boundaries and the envelopes of the storytelling side of the medium that maybe you know a studio operating in you know San Jose or or based out of there you know or Palo Alto I'll just pick a Palo Alto for instance uh you know maybe doesn't get to do the same thing because they don't have that that tradition of backing the arts and and taking those kinds of risks they're not coming out of the same culture yeah, having having come from a Canadian company before this, um, funding via the Canada Media Fund, Ontario Creates, and tax credits was a very important part for getting the initial funding together for uh, our projects. And um, now that I've seen it kind of on the French side, um, yeah, similar thing. When when you have a government that supports these projects and can give you that kind of that initial funding to prototype, um, to build something out, to test if these concepts work or not. Um, 
so by the time I think we get funding for most of our projects, we've already had some of the government uh, funding and subsidies and tax credits that help us uh, build the prototype. We might team with Arte or one of the kind of European broadcasters. We might team up with another country in Europe to get additional, un- unlock additional funding and work with another team over there and co-produce. Um, and then, you know, maybe go get funding from a platform or um, another source. So I've kind of seen um, some of these where they're kind of Frankenstein together from kind of five different funding sources. But hey, it results in really great projects. Yeah. I mean, hell, even even the, you know, Warner Brothers is like doing that for like the Flash movie. There was some title card I saw last night that I did not recognize at all, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's some funding from somewhere. And that's, you know, not even an art film. Like it's just the, the nature of the business now, right? Mm-hmm. Don't tell Andy Mitsuchetti that I said it wasn't an art film, but that's not it. <laughs> uh, I had fun, I had fun, I had fun, if I swear. Um <laughs> Coming back to Monsterama for a second, as, as I, I wrap up and, and seem to let you guys go, but um, what's the destiny here? Tri- you know, popping out at Tribeca, which is sort of now in the states the big premiere fest for XR, right? I think it's it's definitely got the crown uh, these days and has for some number of years. Uh, is this show going on the road? Will we see it at some more the vertical slice at some more festivals? Is there is there a sense of like you know where in the cycle? we are with this are, you know, to maybe one day people getting a, a monster, a monster in their home. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, very happy with um, our, our chance to premiere it at Tribeca. Uh, we are, um, you know, ad- ad- adapting, uh, you know, kind of just learn from testing with everyone and, and uh, taking in that feedback and kind of tinkering with the build a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, here's, here's hoping that the reaction was good and we could get some more funding to continue with the project. All right. And we are in, um, just in the middle of writing the the, the full game, so it's quite uh, it's what still on the process of um, what's happening after. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and we 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 are we hope to to get enough funds to to make like a two or three hour game. At the, oh at wow! The end, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was the idea at the, at the beginning of the of the project. I I definitely I I hope you guys do like <laughs> seriously like. You know, there's for me, it feels like there's a real whether we're talking VR or or the AR or the MR modes, real story driven kind of adventure or puzzle adventure games are probably like the main thing I'm interested in there being in this. Like, I'm still, you know, the formative thing for me is still Vader Immortal and spending hours upon hours like going through that space. Um, and 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 the way you get kind of anchored in memory, um, like these are these are immersive experiences. Full stop. Uh, like the the technology, as as wow as it is, kind of fades into the background, and it becomes about being in this world. And and there's something about the idea of with the MR of the way our world intersects with that world. And there's so much that can be teased out of that germ of an idea. And even from this vertical slice, I can see that that you guys are are really leaning into that, and and that really sings in the work. So I'm I'm desperate to see the whole the whole thing when it when it comes together. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, anything else uh, that's that's going on with either of you or with uh, Alice Five that folks should be you know tuning in on or or, or looking for before before we head off into to the weekend sunset. 
Um, yeah, and I mean, I already, I already mentioned Walsh and Gromit. Um, yeah, just kind of be on the lookout for new releases from us in the near future. And um, I, I'm here in LA. Uh, Pierre, our creative director, is in New York. The rest of the team is in Paris. So if you want to meet with any of us, uh, feel free to reach out. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you for spending time. Uh, and I've, I, I know what time it is for Michael, uh, Clement. I don't know what time it is for you. So I see I see some light, but... Yeah, I'm in Colorado, so it's not far. Oh, it's Colorado. Okay, good. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting nervous there for a second. It's like, how late are we keeping him up? Uh, Colorado, Colorado's easy. That's easy. Um, well, have a great weekend, guys. And uh, thanks for spending a half hour with me today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Once again, I want to thank Monica, Clement, and Michael for being our guests on the show this week. Check the show notes to follow along and connect with their work, their respective work. Uh, just a couple of minutes ago, my time, I said, I'll get back to our regular broadcasting duties, um, which, which some people might think like, oh, there's no podcast next week. No, no, no. There's going to be a podcast next week. I'm just doing everything like out of order. I'm recording this on Wednesday night because suddenly there's travel this weekend. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting nervous. I don't want to, I don't want to jinx things. And then maybe if I say that too often, then I'm going to. Anyway, look, don't let me psych myself uh, around here. Um, make her willing. Uh, uh, this time next week, uh, I'll just be telling you happy stories and uh, thanking the people who are responsible. So let's let's leave it at that. Uh, next week's going to be a fun episode. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, regardless of whether I'm having a good time, uh, next week is going to be a fun episode already uh, because uh, Parker is stepping up into the host seat. I'm I'm riding shotgun on this on this coming episode. Uh, we're going to be talking Parker's talking with Eric Garcia of Detour Dance in San Francisco about we build houses here, a piece we are uh, very excited about uh, that happened uh, earlier this year. Uh, and on the site right now, uh, you can find all kinds of things. It's been a really busy week. Uh, there was the rundown. There's been some one-off. Uh, reviews. Uh, there should be a feature article that I'm going to have to work on tonight after I finish this. Uh, just so much stuff is going on. Uh, and like I said before, um, there's, there's a lot of bright stuff happening. So uh, tune in next week for a fantastic, and really it's a, it's a great interview uh, between uh, Parker and Eric. And uh, also with uh, the notes on you know, whatever shenanigans I got up to this weekend and some shenanigans that are to come. Uh, it's, it's, a it's an exciting time, everybody. And, uh, I thank you for, uh, for being along for the ride. And I, I hope, uh, we get some more people along for the ride so that we can start taking this even further. And with that, the associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Shavano Lachlan for voicing our intro. This podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, blah, 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 uh, by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.